Hi, Nathan Murphy here. Uh, this is a very special episode of Off the Ball. It is sponsored by Island's Edge, brand new, unexpectedly refreshing Irish stout. And this part of Island's Edge podcast tour of live podcasts promoting interesting conversations and encouraging the exploration of choosing different. We are down in the Roaching Dove in Galway for a brilliant night alongside Owen Sheehan, Ashling O'Reilly, Gary Murphy, Stephen Hunt and Cora Staunton. And the reason we're there is because ultimately the difference between us is the space where new ideas come to live and evolve. So we're delighted to be part of the series. Here's our unexpectedly refreshing chat with a pint of Island's Edge in hand. Hope you enjoy. Gary Murphy, brilliant European tour player as well as brilliant commentator now. So please give it up. And Stephen Hunt has insisted that he returns. So Stephen Hunt is back. Uh, you go down there with Owen. Uh, Gary, I said, uh, this is, this is a, it's the most exciting time there's ever been in golf, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit mad, to be fair. Uh, How much money would it take you to dedicate your commentary career to live golf? Very little. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, I'm trying to dedicate it at the moment, to be honest. But uh, I don't know, it's, it's bizarre because um, it's the first time ever that the PGA Tour have had competition. So we kind of grew up where all the, you know, the South Africans, the Australians, the Asians, all the best players starting out will come play the European Tour, get their status, do well, and then Gonski. So, um, and I've always been of the opinion that if we could keep all our best players at home, you know, we'd have a fantastic tour. Uh, obviously, there's a money difference. Um, so with the Saudis, there's rumors at the moment that they're trying to buy the European Tour. Um, the problem is that the European Tour are in bed as well with the PGA Tour. So if we can somehow... Who's you know, we? Well, we? We as in the DP World Tours, as a European. Like I'm pro-European. I, I love watching American golf on a Sunday night, but I'd rather see all our guys you know, back home playing Spanish Opens and Irish Opens and you know, even the Irish Open in, in the next couple of weeks. You know, how many world-class players are going to be there? Whereas if we had all our guys at home playing in the Irish Open, like it was in the... 80s and 90s, you know, when Nick Faldo was winning three of them, or Lathabell, or um, not myself, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I think we'd have a great tour. So I don't know how it's going to play out. The money is obscene. Um, you know, those guys we never heard of last week earning six figures for playing shites, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's tricky. I just wish I'd been one of them, so. We've obviously... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just sip on your island's edge there, Stephen. Uh, we obviously had off the ball have spoken a lot around the moral issues of Saudi Arabia. Do you think the moral issues are any factor for any of the top golfers in the world? Those who've gone are those who are staying in the PGA Tour. No. I think uh, we've seen, like in the last week, how bad sports people are trying to be politically, not, not politically correct, but trying to be politically savvy. They're just Graham McToll to told me that the Saudi Arabians executed perfectly and lived off last week. <laughs> no, it, like, it, to be fair to Graham, and I, like when, when Graham first came out on tour, he was a you know, superstar amateur, had an amazing career, broke some of Tiger's records in amateur collegiate golf, got on tour, won in, in five tournaments had an amazing career, 
but he absolutely maxed everything he had in the game. And he's on the wrong side of his career at this stage. And I was texting him a couple of weeks ago going, listen, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to make a lot of money, you know, being shit. So, um, you know, just go do it. You know, I didn't think he'd go at it the way he went at it. Um, like Gra Graham was, when Graham was in university, he was an A student, but you wouldn't have thought that last week. Um, and I, I just think he was, he was trying to be too clever and trying, because he was up there with DJ thinking, DJ's going to say nothing, so I'm going to have to carry the can here. And I think he was just trying to execute it too well and it didn't work. But careful now, did, did Graham text you back that day? Had he been chatting since? No, I haven't spoken to him since. That went really well, Graham. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, and then, and, and then uh, to be, if, even if you look at some of the performances, you know, I think a lot of them were pretty stressed out about it. Uh, like Westwood played poorly, Poulter played poorly, um, Keimer was okay, but at least Keimer was honest about it. You know, Martin's in a stage in his career where he's not getting into PGA Tour events. Um, he did, he actually had, the funny thing is he's moved to America. So his girlfriend had a baby last year and they moved everything over. Um, but like the, the money is just banana stuff. Like there's, they're basically getting a really good career at the top 50 level in the world rankings for 10, 15 years, over three years. And they have to perform to earn that money. Whereas they're getting hello money to turn up and play. And then they're playing for two and a half times the purse of a major championship every week for eight weeks. The problem with golf at the moment is there's no off season. You know, and they were looking at it initially, because when I was in Dubai in, in January, um, the week before Saudi, they were all gone. They really were like, it was just a mass exodus. And then Mickelson burnt the house down overnight. And then they all start running for cover. But, um, so the plan then was, which is gonna be next year, 14 events, play four majors, you get three months, four months off season, and back you go again. So for, for those guys, if, if the world rankings come in on that tour, it's big problems for European tour. What's the difference between the Super League and football to now the Super Golf Tournament? Well, the Super League and football would have had all the best teams. Right, this doesn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, like... Like, like, and even, but even. The, the emotions of it, the, the, the history of a tournament, watching golf, going back. Yeah. All the memories are there for me as a child to inspire different sports, mm. people to do well. You turn up at this tournament at the weekend and you're looking at it going, I want to like, watch it. It's like watching Scratch Cup. Like it was. It's, it's tough, like it is. Yeah. And, and even, even like that 15 year old kid who I will never be able to pronounce his name. I think they call him TK because his name is that huge, but. Um, He's a 15-year-old amateur. He's won twice on the Asian Tour. Superstar kid. Like, who's looking after him, allowing him getting involved in that? Like, the amateur championship is on this week. So it's this kind of... They're trying to... They're kind of clever in the way they're doing it. But, uh, like, there has to be... In, I think, personally, I think in sport, there has to be a natural progression. You know, you'd be the best player in your club, the best player in your county, the best player in your country, and work that way up. You can't just catapult a 15-year-old into that environment. Um, and then Norman is the wrong figurehead as well. You know, he's about as 
popular syphilis. So, <laughs> he's the wrong, the wrong guy. So, now I don't know. I, I was trying to go. Maybe, maybe GMAC is thinking, I'm going to do three years on this, and maybe I'm going to be the commissioner, because that kind of, that was the kind of vibe I got off him last week. Um, or else he's just lost the plot. I don't know. <laughs> but, how do they actually get to a level of legitimacy in your eyes then? Because people are fearful that it will get to that point. The, the most clever thing they've done is they've bought the Asian tour. Mm. So basically you've got the American PGA tour, DP World, European tour, and the Asian tour. And I actually started off my career on the Asian tour, which is a fantastic tour, um, full of crop golfers, so I look pretty good on it. But, um, <laughs> but they've bought that, so you get all your world rankings for those events. But the prize money is small. So you're looking at a million dollars a week, so they'll get that prize money up. Two guys from that tour can play on the live. So there's 46 spots, plus two from the Asian tour. So the way they'll do it is, they'll, if they only stick with eight, they'll get Dustin and a few of the lads to play some of those events, bump them up. And then, you know, every, like we have so many young pros at the moment trying to get on tour. Um, and I've said it to them, to a lot of them, you know, go out to Asia. Now obviously COVID has destroyed things for a lot of those young players the last kind of two and a half years. But it's a great way to go out and, and travel and learn about yourself, play in a completely different environment. So they bought that tour, that's a good way to channel in. But the talk now is that maybe the Saudis are going to buy the DP World Tour, and, which I think would be a good idea, and mash the two of them together and take on the PGA Tour. So you could have a live event in Ireland? Yeah, not at the cake club, but. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of attendance would that get, do you think? The galleries will bump up soon, won't they? This, but like this, this the, but the thing about it is, like, if I'm like I'm going out to the Irish Open in a couple of weeks' time, I have a ten-year-old son. He wants to go down and see Shane Lowry. Mm. So, like, if Shane Lowry is playing in a live event, I'm not saying he is, but if the best players in the world are in Ireland at a tournament. Lots of people will go. You know, they'll see. They'll just see it as sport. They'll. See, I think they'll see it through a lot of that. You know, there's probably lots of Newcastle fans here in Ireland that. You know, they're delighted with what's going on. It's, um, is it their fault? You know, is it Newcastle players' fault that the Saudis have bought the club? It's a slightly different scenario, though, because golfers... Why, why, though? Why is it a different scenario? Well, because they're tied into contract at Newcastle. They're just going to rip up their contract and say, I'm not going to play here on moral grounds. The PGA Tour players could have played in the Canadian Open last week for massive money, but they have made a personal choice to go and play in this. So it is only up to them to decide where they play. Yeah, but they're independent contractors. <laughs> that's like that's that's their whole like the whole this growing the game is a load of rubbish. You know, that's and the family. Like Bryson DeChambeau's gone on about his family, he's a single guy. <laughs> <laughs> so So I'm getting a hundred million and I'm a single, I'm gonna get married tomorrow and throw a fifty. You can get married twice. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. It's is it good for the game? No. Is the competition good? Definitely is. And it'll definitely make, I think the PGA Tour were quite weak last, last week, the way Jay Monon came out. And I, I, maybe I'm coming at it from the angle of a kind of Ryder Cup, us against them. Europe has always been the poor relation. We've always lost our best players. And I'm kind of, you know, they're losing their own players. It's not like they're losing, you know, they're losing, they'll lose more as well, because the money is, is insane. Like they're, 
you know, I don't know, allegedly, like Poulter's getting 25, Sergio's getting 30, 35, Westwood's getting similar, turn up money, and then you're playing for 25 million a week for eight tournaments. Um, is it worth know. it though? Is it, as a child growing up, Poulter growing up, all them like stuff, does it mean, is it going to take it away from it now? Like it takes it away from, from me. Sorry. Well, I, 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 we still done it though, like he still has that Medina. But where where will he go now? Like, I know it's, I'm just trying to like keep this, the emotional attachment to golf that everyone has. Will it be there? Where will it be in five years' time? Then that's the good. Yeah, but f- footballers change clubs all the time for more money. Were you, you always I mean? emotionally attached to every club you played for? <laughs> I presume the answer was going to be yes, but I now feel there's something deeper going on there. Yeah. Oh, that year on the bench in Coventry. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> right. So Crystal Palace released me at 22. They don't talk about me because I went on and did okay in my career after that. Yeah. They don't really care. It's like. You move on, don't you? Martin Allen hated me, I hated him. Yeah, but the other side, the, the other side of it as well is, I, I stopped playing in 2012. I haven't had one phone call. Like, I played for over 17 years on and off on the European Tour. In 10 years, I haven't had one phone call from anyone to go, you know, is that fringe going to grow back or what's going on here? <laughs> so there's no, there's no duty of care afterwards at all. Now, I was fortunate in the sense that I got into commentary and I was involved in tournaments and I'm in and out and, and, and whatnot. But like I know, and I hate throwing out this line, but I know loads of lads, you know, that were really struggling when they were losing their status. A lot of them were broke, a lot of them were depressed. Um, they were essentially unemployed. Now you can say, oh, I lost my card and that sounds lovely, doesn't it? It's not too bad, but you're essentially unemployed. You're out of a job. You're going from earning three, four hundred grand a year to earning zero. And there's no duty of care afterwards. So when they're talking about loyalty to tours, there's a loyalty to a tour whilst you're on it, whilst you have status and while you're playing. And when the game is up, the game is up. Now the difference in America is the pension fund for the players is enormous. Now, like, the thing I love about Phil Mickelson is they say he's a gambling problem. He doesn't have a gambling problem, he's just obviously a shit gambler. <laughs> But, but he, like, he, he, he would have easily, from his performance over 30 years on the PGA Tour, and they don't contribute a dime to their pension, he would easily have 150 million on a pension. So when he gets to 60, they can draw down their, they can draw at a cost, they can start drawing it at 50, but from 60 to 70, you have a 10 year period where you draw it down. So, I don't know why he's doing this. Like, it doesn't make any logical sense. Um, but in Europe, there's no pension. So Des, perfect example, Des Smith played 28 years on, on the European Tour, phenomenal career, two-time Ryder Cup player, won, I think, eight or nine times. You know, he left the tour with what he earned. Whereas that same Des Smith in America would be a multimillionaire from his pension fund. So that's where they're really annoyed because there's a duty of care to them afterwards. There's not in Europe at all. So when I stopped playing, my dad sold pensions um, in Kilkenny. Um, and I thought, you know, why don't I try, not for me, because the, the, the horse had bolted for me, I, I, I was done, but let's, you know, for the next generation, let's try protect lads that have had a decent enough career, maybe five or six years in tour, earned a few ball, but there might be something for them 
at the other side and, and they just wouldn't do it. They said it was too tricky because of all the different countries and, and the tax implications. But I mean, there's multinationals all over the planet of pension funds for companies. But, and that's, that's why I think the PGA Tour are so annoyed with the likes of Mickelson and like DJ have a fortune in there. You know, so why, why, why are they doing that? They're just greedy. That's why they're doing it. See guys, I told you a pension fund chat could be really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> You're obsessed with money, golfers, aren't you? Every conversation is about money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's, that, it's, it's, the funny thing is you get into it because you love it. You get yeah. into it because you're good at it and you're better than the next fella. And then you move up and you're, oh, well, I'm a pro now and I'm on tour. You know, and then all of a sudden you start making, making money and then people are paying you money to wear clothes or use clubs. And, and then you've agents, piranhas like this fella here. <laughs> you know. That is very harsh. And then, you know, and it's almost just a natural progression. Like, I know, I know two or three lads that have won majors that have played Mickey Mouse tournaments out in the Far East, and they've got more money for turning up than what they were playing for. So there's a, you know, phenomenal greed in, in every sport. But the only difference with this is, as good as you are, you still have to make a cut on Friday to get paid. Whereas this thing is just guaranteed turn up, you know, shotgun start, three rounds, happy days are here again, so. But it, it's Mickey Mouse golf. Uh, Roy McIlroy seems to have positioned himself as yeah. the man on the side of good here and the leader yeah. of the PGA Tour, and he seems to be inspired by it. We also brilliant golf last Sunday night. Uh, what do you see his future as then? Has he gone so far that he can never go back? Because if these guys are worth 100 million, Rory must be worth 500 million. Yeah, well, they reckon that he's close to a billion. So he made a lot of very good investments off the course. Um, but I think it's really suited him because like, we've always felt with Rory that he's, you know, he's so good and the game is so easy for him. And he seems like, last week he seemed to have a you know, different look in his eye and had a bit, like, a bit of an edge to him. So whether he's, because he's so good, like it's insane, it's insane how talented he is. And it's insane how frustrating it is watching him not, like he should be winning four or five times every yeah. year regardless. So I think he's taken on, because Tiger's gone off the scene as such, you know. I think St. Andrews might be his last ever tournament. Um, right. I, hope, I hope I'm wrong, but... Um, so I think Rory feels Jesus, I now... I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tiger. I know. Oh, I know. pain. I know. The memories, the... Oh, yeah. go on. Sorry, lads. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so I think he's taken on that role and it seems to suit him. Like, there's a lot of extra pressure. Mm. And Brooks Koepka said it the other day, like, we're not here to talk about the US Open. You know, what are we talking about this lifting? Now he'll be gone too in a couple of years, but um, what I think age was Rory when you first saw him? First time I met Rory was on the putting green at the Scottish Open, and Brian McElhenney had won the amateur championship or the British amateur, as we called it then, which is basically, and I know it's a match play event, but that's probably the best amateur out of Britain and Ireland. And Rory was just Rory. Rory had won loads of other things, but he didn't win that particular competition. But the two of them got an invite to play in the Scottish Open. And this was about 06, maybe. Um, and I was established on tour. So the two lads come over to me on the putting green, and Rory's there with the collars up, giving it 10 giving nil. And Brian just looked petrified. You know, he was starstruck, not with me now, but with, with the tournament and whatever. And I just looked at the two, and I hadn't seen either of them hit a, hit a golf shot. And I thought, well, he'll do well, but he has no chance. Um, 
and then he got on tour and my first, his first kind of three years, I would have played a good few practice rounds with him. Never at the weekend, unfortunately, but, uh, and he was just amazing. So much, the game just seemed so easy for him. Um, but he gets nervous, that's his only, that's his only thing. If he can, and he got nervous last Sunday, and I thought, oh, Christ, here we go, he's gonna piss on the chips here, but. Um, <laughs> but he, he got it back on 17, and, uh, and hopefully that might stand to him this week. But I think Shane Lowry will win this week, though. Uh, before we get on Shane, just on Rory then, when you think back to that 17-year-old kid and having won four majors, would you say that is representative of what he should have won during his career? Okay, a good way to put it is Tiger Woods is a freak. You can't compare anyone to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods has won 15. He won his 14th in 08. He won his 15th in 2019. Now, I know he had a little bit going on in between that with injury and <laughs> other stuff. But the next yardstick, and the only yardstick then is Phil Mickelson. He's got six. So Phil Mickelson, now Phil is done. Obviously, he's not going to do anything this week. Um, so he's the third best player of this generation, or the second best player, you could say, if you can't, if you just can't tiger, because his levels are just, you know, absurd. Um, I still think he'll win another two or three. Does he not need that? Does he not? Oh, he yeah. He should be the greatest he's, European player yeah. of all time. Like, he's won one more than Porik. You know, with no disrespect to Porik, because Porik has been a, probably one of the greatest ambassadors ever out of this country, but ability and talent-wise, it's, you know, apples, apples and whatever, frozen eggs or something, but, um, <laughs> you know, so he should, he should, he probably should have six or seven at this stage. But he has a different look now, doesn't he? Even last week, I thought. Yeah. His body language, it's like more into mind games than anyone. And I love the fact that he looked different, a different language about him, different speech. And I thought, okay, this fella could go on now this year and kick on, hopefully. Yeah, he's very frustrating. Um, like, I was in Dubai this year and watching him making balls before he went out one of the rounds. And you're just like, Jeez, I'm going I'm to take up this game. It looks really easy, though. <laughs> I know, and, and then he stands up in the first and hits it straight left from the shot. So he's, he is frustrating, but he does get nervous. You know, I know they all do, there's no doubt about that, but um, I think last week was huge. Uh, and St. Andrews is a, his best chance. If it doesn't get stupid windy around there, that's a really easy golf course for him. And, you know, what, what, what a place to win a major. You know, he should have won it in 2010 when Louis won it, mm. so. Um, didn't play he, in 2015. Didn't play, yeah, he injured playing football. Um, but it's, I don't know, I think, uh, I think it's, it depends what kind of toll it takes on him, what's going on at the moment. But the other thing with Rory is he's very tied in. All his sponsors are all PGA. So he is, he is an interest in, in flashing the PGA card as well. What's the celebrity tour? Mm. Any chance for an invite for me to play in it? No? <laughs> 6.9, handicap, not bad, come down, lockdown one. I think you talked yourself out of it, you said it was a celebrity tour. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did win the Irish Pro-Am, to be fair. You I'm did, been, yeah, absolutely. I've been invited back since. Yeah, yeah. That might get you on the lift, the amount of people playing this. Huh? <laughs> Open Donny Gaul, McGinley's your man. I'm just the celebrity, honestly. Huh? It's over 50s. 
Yeah. I know I look 69. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> my dad's down there with a full head of hair, so you're all right. Let's, let's not talk about hair now. To be <laughs> uh, Shane Lowry, you mentioned. So the US Open starts uh, tomorrow. So yes. we'll, everyone is together. Uh, Live Golf, PGA Tour Golf, everybody's there. Uh, I know uh, you do tend to tip Shane Lowry for every uh, major that comes around. Uh, why, he's probably in the best form he's ever been in his ever, yeah. career, despite yeah. the fact all he's won. What was your caddy, was he? Yeah. He's kind of done well since then, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, Bo, Bo and I... Uh, Bo and I have been friends since 1989. We played... We were playing in the Leinster Boys in Bettystown. And I was in the final group. Uh, so it was two rounds the last day. So I'm in the final group, and Bo was in the third last group. Uh, and he arrives up as the second last group, routine off in a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. He'd been out all night in Mrs. Tea Time. And, and he's like, oh, I can't, I can't believe it. my dad's going to kill me. So what are you going to do? So well, my bus is not until 8 o'clock tonight. And I said, she might as well carry for me. She's not doing anything else. And we've been best mates ever since. And then he, he was best man for me when I got married, and I was best man for him when he got married. And he came out and cat. He was in between jobs in 02. And we were living together in Kilkenny. And he came out caddying for me at tour school, got through, and caddied for me for two years on tour, and then worked for the famous Peter Laurie after that. Took, a, took four, four years off, went back with Peter, first week back to finish second, and he's been on tour since. So. And he took Shane's job in, uh, Shane just lost his status in America, actually, at the end of 2018, uh, September 2018. And, they won in Abu Dhabi and, and then the Open and he's a brilliant caddy. He's a fantastic guy. He's really good for Shane. Shane knows that he's too hard on himself, never mind his caddies. Right. Because people do feel a little bit, I think, uncomfortable at times with the general player caddy relationship, but particularly at times with Shane, and he's not the only one, but he does go to town on him. He does, but then he, wa he, walks, he walks off the course then and he's... Jeez, I'm sorry about that. Like, I didn't really mean it, you know. It's just, you know, you know. And Bo's like, Bo's a thick skin, so it's fine. But, um, and that's just part and part. Like, it goes on all the time. You know, there's, there's lads bitching caddies out all the time. Like, I had, I had a guy caddy for me one time in the French Open. Uh, Daft Wayne is his nickname, so that kind of sums it up. <laughs> uh, and he's a mad Evertonian, and I'm a Liverpool fan. So the first week we worked together, He's got this Everton sleeveless top on. I'm like, Wayne, for Christ's sake, like, it's going up. So I finished fifth in the Austrian Open. Huge event. But, um. <laughs> Coming to live golf. <laughs> yeah. Rafa Cabrera Bayo shot 60, I think, in the last round uh, to win. And anyway, we first week together, finished fifth. Good start. Did okay the next couple of weeks. And we're at the French Open a month later. So we're together a month. We're on the ninth hole of the French Open. Power five, long power five, and I've had a good drive, and I've like 229 to carry this front bunker, pins up the back. So all I have to do is keep it in the air for 229, and it's scooting up the grain. And it's three iron all day long. Back in the days when people hit three irons. So I said, uh, Wayne, I like three iron, what do you think? And he goes, How far did you hit your three iron, mate? It's like, this isn't a fucking quiz. Like, What's going on here? So. So, of course, then, I'm giving him 10-0. That, that happens, all, now, not to that level, but that happens a lot. And it's just players venting, you know what I mean? It's not... Like, Shane is... 
he's kind of, what you see is what you get. He is sound as a pound. He's unbelievably generous. Um, like you've seen it with, with Offaly, with the, with the GEA. Like if you're willing to sponsor them, like you must have been very generous. You know, so he's, he's good. He's in a good, he's in a, he's in a sweet, sweet spot in his career, so. Um, I'd love to see him win another major soon, because the quicker he wins one, um, the quicker he can move on. You know, because you, you know, I'd love to have that tag, I only won one major, but um, I only played in two of them. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, he's, he's in a sweet spot, and stats-wise, uh, this course really suits him. Um, I was actually chatting to Bo coming down uh, about the course, and he says it's the fairest US Open test he's seen. But it's difficult, because Shane needs a bit of difficult, I think if it's easy and a bit of a shootout, it won't play to his strengths. But his iron play is phenomenal. I gave him a putting lesson in January and he's put it like God ever since. So. <laughs> I'm taking all the credit. Uh, one more player I want to uh, touch on because it's great to see somebody from Waterford achieved in, in the world of sport. Yeah. Seamus Power. Yes. Yes. Woo! He's playing this week. Yeah. Has he a chance? He obviously played very well in the PGA. Well, like he's a very proud Irishman. You know, Stephen didn't know five minutes ago he was actually Irish. <laughs> no, uh, no, that, you're, li you're lying to make friends there. I did. I just followed him on Twitter and he didn't follow me back, so... <laughs> I, took it to, I took it to heart and didn't think he was, like, had the real Irish... No, it, like, to be brutally honest with you, he's, he's the touring pro of the K-Club. And he did it, he could have gone elsewhere and, and got a lot more money. But he just wanted to do it to, to have a connection at home, because... Like, we were joking about it inside, but he genuinely feels that people think he's an Irish-American. You know, and he's as bloody, he's from Dungarvan in County Waterford. Like, he's as... To be fair, the GMAC hasn't helped him in that, like... Well, a little bit, yeah, but, like, who wants a Waterford accent, to be fair? So. Uh, but, no, but, like, seriously, he, he, he is... He's as Irish as Shane is. He's just... He's done it harder. Like, he went to college in America, and he stayed there and worked his way up through the mini-tours you know, which is not easy. He didn't have that sugar daddy sponsor to go off and do loads of different things. And, um, and he's a cracking lad. Like, he's really good fun. Um, and even a similar thing to Bo. So Simon Keelan, who caddies from now, picked up the bag two years ago. And just to have a, you know, a fellow Irishman on the bag, that's made a, a huge difference to him. Like, a, a lot of people get hung up with the caddies thing, caddy thing about, you know, Bones, Mackay, and all these guys. But uh, I think Simon has been brilliant for we don't quite have the same amount of Irish players out on tour at the moment when we had yourself and Peter Laurie and Dave McGrain and Podrick Harrington and I know we had a great time together to put you on the spot give us your best Podrick Harrington story <laughs> my best Podrick Harrington story how many, how many Tuesday night how many Tuesday night dinners did you have with Podrick Harrington as you were touring the world lots uh, He's mad as a brush, he really is. Like he was there, he was in the K-Club today. He was out playing, he was hitting balls beforehand. And he's this, like he's obsessed with speed. And he has this track man, swing speed monitor or whatever. And he's, look, look at that. Like he's, look, he's looking down. Like the biggest compliment I could give him is, I've known Pork since we were going under 14 coaching for Leinster. And he genuinely hasn't changed the day. He really hasn't, like he's, I know he's, famous and he's a multi-millionaire and all of that but even like when he came into the shops today with the lads and he's just he's golden like he really is but um we were down in, and it, it, it kind of just sums up we're down in spain years ago on an amateur training camp 
and they were just flogging us. We were playing 36 holes a day and hitting balls, and it was rubbish. So we got this kind of afternoon off to play football. And I was actually quite a good football player when I was younger. The usual had trials for Ireland, all that sort of stuff. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we we go playing beach soccer for you know half an hour just to have a bit of crack. And he like he was just cleaning lads out, <laughs> like like literally trying to break legs to get the ball. And that's that's just what he's like. He's he's a ferocious competitor, um, but not much crack. <laughs> that was much you do, anyways. Uh, Gary, thank you very much. Gary Murphy, everybody. So there you go, that was our Island's Edge episode. We hope you enjoyed it and it brought you new ideas and new points of view and things for you to think about, maybe even over a pint of Island's Edge. See you next time.